0: GoLongTD.com Humanizing Pro Football Journalism. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Favre with the one and only Brett Favre, Pro Football Hall of Fame, three time MVP, and biking extraordinaire. Brett, man, you uh you just had quite a quite a trip you were telling me before we hit record.
1: Yeah, every Tuesday. Uh <laughs> And for all you listening, I, I told Tyler this before we started recording, but we were scheduled to do it thirty minutes before we're actually doing it today because I I had a little bike issue. Me and two of my buddies, we try to bike fifty miles every Tuesday, and uh, at about the ten mile to to I, I was up at about. 40 miles and with 10 roughly 10 to go, my chain snapped. So, so we're a little bit late recording today because uh, I couldn't finish my 10 miles. Um, uh, but one of my buddies had to come back and get me it with my truck, and then I had to go back to his truck. But uh, yeah, I love biking, I, I never thought. I, in fact, Deanna bought me my first bike while I was – I probably had about three or four years. I, I think I was in my last year at Green Bay. She bought me a bike. She was a big triathlon person, still does them. So biking's one of the three in the triathlon. So she biked a lot. So she was like, we could bike together. And I was thinking to myself, why would I bike? Well, why on earth would I get on a bike? So it sat there for years. And then I, after I retired, I started running, which I can't believe I, I would actually run, better yet, even say that I would run. But I, I did run a little bit, but it, my joints hurt. Uh, after every run, I would be suffering for like two days. So I I said, you know, let me try biking. So Deanna says, and it was one of these souped-up road bikes, you know, a little small seat. You could pick it up with one finger. And we rode. I said, how far are we riding? You know, I I was being a pain in the ass, basically. (laughs) How far are we riding? Uh, We'll do 10 miles. I thought to myself, 10 miles on a bike? Are you kidding me? She goes, that's nothing. If you, if you, she said, once you get used to it, you, you'll go. Why well, go ten miles? That's kind of a waste of time. We got to go more. I'm, I thought to myself, there's no way in hell I'll do ten miles. And she said, I, you better wear biking shorts. I said, I am not wearing <laughs> biking shorts. There's no way in hell you get me in biking shorts. She said, okay, suit yourself. So I went with like basketball shorts on. The next time we rode, I wore biking shorts. I was so
0: jaded
1: <laughs> from the, we we made five, five miles, and I said, "No way, no, no, no." I mean, I was dying. My 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 butt, and my crotch was like
0: on fire. And well, it's good payback after everything you did to everybody else's jocks. You know, pulling pranks yeah, probably yeah. back in the day. I, said, I guess it serves me
1: right. So,
0: yeah. But anyway, now,
1: now I had to take a little hiatus with my back and hip surgery this year. So I was, I was chomping at the bits. I didn't want to get too far out of shape. So I'm back in kind of the swing of it, uh, doing, uh, I think I'm averaging about 125 miles a week. Wow.
0: Man.
1: But compared to last year, last year I rode over six thousand miles. And last year, I can tell you on my phone right now uh, how many miles I've done this year, just to give you an idea.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine. That's thirty-five
1: hundred point four. I'm done this year. So I'm way behind compared to last year. I did almost 7,000 miles last year. So
0: So, when you, when you're, uh, when was it like a total wipeout today? Like, are you flying over the handlebars when that happens?
1: No, no, we were going up the hill. Those two guys are faster than me anyway. And not to mention, everything is back to somewhat normal, whatever that is. My body, my hip, I mean, my hip replacement, I, I, I have no problems with it. What I do have a problem with is num- numbness in my right leg, and that's related to the back.
0: Yeah. So,
1: you know, I, I had compression on the nerve that he had the doctor, my buddy had to relieve and with the surgery. And he said, you may, And I had numbness prior to the surgery. That was one of the things that prompted the surgery. I had numbness and pain in my leg, right leg. Some back pain, but most of it was leg, but it was coming from the back. So he did a decompression surgery, relieving that nerve. The the question is, how much damage and how long was was the compression, was it long enough to be permanent damage to that nerve? So I have probably a third of the use of my right leg as, as opposed to my left. So when I pedal, I'm, it feels like I'm using my right leg, but it's just kind of tagging along. You know, you got the clip in. So you clip to the pedals. So we're going up a hill. Those two guys are way in front of me. And I stand up, and and when I stand up, I can get more use of my right leg. I can force the the momentum down. This chain snaps, just snaps off off the bike. And I'm I'm free-spinning. Fortunately, I was able to unclip. We're on a uh, public road. I was able to unclip and not fall and get off the side of the road before a car came. So I had to wait for them to come back and pick me up with my truck.
0: So, I didn't uh, think about that. I mean, yeah, you, you bikers just kind of take over the road, you know, when we're driving around. it's uh, There could have been a car coming tagging you, sending yeah, you a I mean, it, it, it's, it,
1: it can be dangerous, but uh, for the most part, people give you a, a huge leeway when they pass by. Some honk and some say, hey, k- keep it up. Some people say, get your ass off the road. But <laughs> it is what Man. it is.
0: Yeah, I think like when we uh connected for that story back in twenty fourteen at, at the journal center, I remember you saying like that was a way to kinda of keep that competitive itch going. I mean, you were training like a madman for, for Iron Man and just in just in general, I think. I mean that's always the big unknown is yeah, you where are I, you where are you gonna find that competitive funny, itch when you're done.
1: What's funny, Tyler, is I'm fifty four and I feel like I have as much, if not more competitive fire in me to train, but, but different, different training. You know, I have no desire to really lift weights. I I did that my whole life and it got to a point where it was like work. Like I knew I had to lift, but I didn't, you know, it was work. And when, when something, when you, when you look at something, like work, like a grind. Then, it, then it becomes what you don't want it to become, and uh, you want to enjoy it. You want to look forward to it. And I look forward to playing football my whole life. But the things that went along with it, that that what that you had to do to make you who you are, became work and became. Yeah. So I was. I didn't know what retirement would bring. I, you know, I didn't know what that looked like because I never never experienced that. That freedom can be good, but it also can be bad. Uh, a lot of free time. So for me, you know, I, I coached high school my first few years in retire- out of retirement. Now, high school coaching is not anything – from a demand standpoint, compared to college or pros, uh, but I enjoyed it. I didn't get paid any money. Didn't want any money. I did it uh, as a favor initially to the head coach because he had asked me for every year. Hey, when you retire, will you be my offense coordinator? And I, I jokingly tell him, "Yeah, sure." So when I retired for good, he he said, "What about it?" So I said, all right, I'll do it. And I enjoyed it. it. And it, it, it was a different type of competitive spirit. I, I, I couldn't control the game, good or bad. Yeah. I, you know, I, I couldn't play in, in, in the quarterbacks that I was coaching's place. I wanted to at times, but I, I it was a different competitive fire. And I enjoyed it. So, when I, after we won the state championship my second year, I said, you know, I'm done. Uh, then I'm like, now what? So, you're like you said, I, I started biking, I started running, I ran in some half marathons. Uh, I, it was a way to stay in shape, but also, you know, the thing about biking, you can ride in a big group like we have Saturday mornings and it could be anywhere from 30 to 50 riders of, of all caliber. I try to hang in with the first group and I can hang for a little bit that I, I have to wave them by, uh, yeah. you know, 200, 230 pounds on a bike is great going downhill. But when you go uphill, the 140 pound guy has got a huge advantage. So it is what it is. But, uh, you can compete against your own time, maybe a, a segment on that you you want to get a faster time, or you can compete against other cyclists. I, I have no desire to be in like an event like a Tour de France, but uh, but I enjoy it. You know, uh, it, it's you know if you do it long enough, you'll wreck, and you get most of the time it's scrapes and strawberries or whatever you want to call them but the wear and tear is much less on the joints so even when when I, my back was really hurting when I got on the bike and leaned forward it, it relieved the pain which it opened up the joints if that makes sense so uh that was that was a good thing but uh yeah I can keep, keep the competitive fire Stay in relatively good shape. Uh, I mean, and I was telling you this earlier, I I did a, uh, I, I, I just said I wouldn't do an event, but this was not really in a race. It was, uh, they have it every year in Colorado. It's called triple bypass. You go over three mountain passes. It's 110 miles all in one day. And one of my buddies Said, let's sign up for it. So we signed up for it. We started training. Two months before the event, those two backed out. And I said, the hell with it. I've logged all these miles and elevation, climbing every hill in Mississippi. I'm going to do it. And I did it. And I was so thankful I did it. And it was hard, but I made it. And, and when I, when I got done, I was like, you know, that was pretty cool. And it, had you asked me or told me at the end of my career, I bet you do a 110 mile bike ride over three mountain passes. I'd have said, you're absolutely positively insane.
0: There's no <laughs> way in the
1: hospital to do that. I wouldn't bike a mile, but yet I did that. So.
0: That's amazing. I mean, I, when you first started talking there, Brett, I thought you were going to, you know, announce a comeback of of some sort. You know, with that, how you how competitive uh, you are to uh, to work out and stuff, right? That this this could be the forum for it. There's there's some teams that need a quarterback out there.
1: I don't, I don't know if I could throw it 15 yards right now. I'm so tight. And
0: when is the last time you threw a football?
1: You know, I don't know. I don't really, know. I don't know. I really don't. It, it's. It could have been a year ago, but I, I, off the top of my head, I don't remember. Now, my my middle grandson is he's nine right now. He's but I had thrown with him since the surgery, so back or hip. But before the surgery, we would throw when he would come over. We would go out in the yard, and I wouldn't even get a glove. I would just catch it. And I would work with him on his arm strength, baseball. Just so uh, I mean, I didn't throw it very far, but uh, that's that's really the only throwing I've done in recent memory.
0: Hey, have you at any point ever been throwing the football with like a you know a family member or a friend out back and just like temporarily forgot that you're throwing to a friend or a family member out back and just like gun it in there <laughs> like it's Antonio no, Freeman no, or no, Donald Driver.
1: Uh, but, yeah. but when I was, when I was tra- training in the offseason, getting ready for, and I look nowadays, these guys have personal trainers. They have uh, their own quarterback coach. They have handlers. I had no one. I would throw. In fact, one year you'll get a kick out of this. What I would really never throw routes per se, you know, like scheduled uh planned uh you know at one o'clock everybody we uh we're gonna throw at southern miss and i'm gonna throw routes I, I never did that i would find someone who would throw with me and really all i would do is have them back up and i would throw distance i just wanted to get my arm back in shape so it really was who was available Maybe my brother came up and played golf, and then we would throw after him. If he wasn't available, I'd try to find someone else, if I was going to throw that day. So one, one year, and this was probably early in my career, my agent, Bus, was probably 60 at the time. With his good friend, who also was a good friend of mine, Leon, Leon Perry, who was also 60, I said, Man, i got to find somebody to throw with. And they said, well, well, we'll catch for you. They they couldn't throw it back. But, you know, I'd run up, up and they throw it a little as far as they could. So they got into a little pissing match. It was the damnedest thing. You had to be there. So Leon says, "Bus, I'm going to run a route. I bet you can't guard me. So it turned into a fiasco. Those two were trying to run routes and each other. And Leon ended up pulling a hamstring, as you would imagine. And uh, those two didn't talk for a week. I mean, <laughs> it, it turned into something totally different. All I wanted to do was get my arm in shape.
0: That's great. So,
1: that's wow. that was that was my off seasons. You know, I mean, I would throw, but you you may have been passing through town, and I may have said, "Hey, you got thirty minutes to th- catch for me." Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how I, I, my routine.
0: Yeah. I was just talking to Matt Hasselbeck uh, a couple of weeks ago. He said, yeah, you know, like, I kind of got all kinds of reps because Brett's back in Mississippi, even at OTAs and camps. So that that really wasn't a part of your routine either, right? Like, you come up to training camp, and it's like, oh, hell, here we go.
1: Now, early, early in camp, early in my career, mm-hmm. I, I there were many camps, you know, and I would go to those. But when it got to a point where – I'm not saying it wasn't important that you participated, but they were trying to see to give the younger guys or other guys reps at all positions to see what – I mean, Reggie, what what use is Reggie at a mini camp, really?
0: Right, right.
1: So uh, if, if I was there in the latter part of my career, I wasn't participating. So most of the time I just did, did something at home.
0: I'm trying to think of a segue here to get into a, a meaty subject, Brett. I think at one point watching this Packers game uh Sunday, I I texted you, man, I think they could use you, Brett. I think you got one more comeback in. you. Yeah. And then I, I continue to watch this game. And it's like, well, their problems are much bigger than Jordan love. Um, And I think anybody who's watched this team, this offense, this season can see, wow, it's coaching. It's the youth. I mean, everywhere you look on the roster you know Jordan hasn't been great but the circumstances are 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 hell for a first year starting quarterback so we we haven't really talked a lot about green bay and just where they are as a team so that's probably what we should hear i mean they're 2 and 5 four straight losses they haven't scored 20 points in a game in five straight games pretty anemic offensively uh what what do you see when you watch the team that you really put on the map
1: you know i think i'm more I'm not, I'm not disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I'm not, I'm not surprised. And I mean that with all due respect, because I think it's been a long time, but my, when I entered for good, the, the you know, the, the melee, it wasn't pretty. At times you saw, and, and I, I mean, it's, it's been so long. It's been, what, 30 years or so. Our offense was, my first year, had one star player, Sterling. The rest of the guys were, uh, at, when I think back to that time, I didn't know a good team from a bad team. I didn't really know a great player from a good player, from a good player to – I mean, a bad player, you, you you could recognize that. Most of the time a bad player is not on the field. But um, there was a learning curve. And, you know, just let's uh, start with me. Holmgren called plays for the whole six years that I, we were together. But that first year, you know, just imagine – You're a play caller. I come in the game. Mikowski gets hurt. What, how, how on earth would you know what I like? What I feel comfortable with? Um, so you call plays and I always tell people this, and this may or may not be true, but I think that it's probably more to the, to the true aspect of it rather than the not true. But I think Mike called plays. The previous year he was calling plays for San Francisco with Steve Young. He called plays for Joe Montana before that. So in his mind, you're going to call those plays that worked when you were in San Francisco, and it worked because you had Steve Young and Joe Montana, both veteran quarterbacks, both almost never made bad decisions or bad throws. So I'll call those plays. Well, some worked, some didn't. I was quick to get out of the pocket because I didn't trust protection because I didn't understand protections. So it looked like a chicken with his head cut off running around the chicken yard. Um, uh, and at times you, you would see maybe arm strength or a playmaking ability that, that probably shouldn't have happened because I, I shouldn't have deviated from the play itself. So once, you know, over time the might call plays that fit my personality until I got, you know, really good at recognizing coverages, how protections uh, work against certain blitzes, so on and so forth. And I think, you know, that's kind of what we're seeing with with Jordan. Maybe not so much understanding stuff because he's been in the same offense and he's been with LaFleur long enough that – that part of it, I think he, he he has good command of. The problem is protection is, is shaky at best. You got guys that are not sterling sharp at wide receiver. And I, I mean, again, all due respect, they're young. They haven't logged the miles that Sterling had logged prior to me getting there. He had established himself as a as a true number one receiver and one of the tops in the league before I got there, yeah. so I had that to fall back on when when all else fell. Stole to Sterling, and good things happened, and that was true. Jordan doesn't have that, and I think even though he's been around for a while, it's different watching versus playing. The real bullets are a lot different than not real bullets. And so, you know, I think Packer fans across the country and the world are are disappointed. But I think what they have to – and and I think most of them would agree to a certain extent that they're not surprised. They were hopeful, but not – you know – I'm sure they're yelling at the TV and at the end of the game, they're disappointed, but deep down inside, you have to agree that it's not a surprise. That being said, good things. I, I think if, if they can stay injury free for the most part, get over the learning curve, get through that. I think they'll be okay. Jordan, I think is I, well, I like what I see. I think he's, he's, he's got a good demeanor. He's definitely got a good arm. He's accurate. Um, I I think there's, there's a lot of upside for him, which would in turn lead to more success with the team. How how soon will that happen? I have no idea, but I think when they hit on all cylinders, they're young. I think the youngest team in football, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so there's going to be a learning curve and, and, uh, and the season's not over. You can't write them off, especially with that division. The division's sort of wide open. Detroit seems to be uh, in, in good command of that division. But hey, they, they could hit on all cylinders at any moment, or it could be two years from now. I, I, I have no idea, but I, I think uh, we, we need to be somewhat patient with them.
0: Great point on Sterling Sharp. I mean, you've got an absolute all-pro, best receiver this side of Jerry Rice, probably should be in the Hall of Fame. And the team that you handed, well, you didn't hand the team to Aaron Rodgers. We we went over all that in the first episode. But the roster that he inherited was within an, an overtime of a Super Bowl, right? A throw of a Super yeah. Bowl. He was, was loaded. loaded at receiver,
1: loaded, and a, and a good Solid, consistent offensive line. Big difference from what he took over than what Jordan has taken over. And again, no offense to the guys. I think they're young, they're talented, but they're young. They haven't established themselves yet, as as Sterling had. So,
0: a lot of that's the Packers own doing, and you know all the dead money and Aaron Rodgers's contract. It's not like they could go out and. Pay up for veterans. Um, honestly, they should have traded him away a year earlier, maybe even two years earlier. Get your bounty of picks. That's a whole other conversation, but like this, this is the predicament they're in. It's a really, really young team. Just how difficult is it when there's just youth everywhere? Um, and, and you guys had a young team around Sterling when you took over as well. But when you, you guys started signing some veterans and you turn a corner, I think that's probably a point of angst for a lot of fans right now is like we, that the Packers just need some veterans. Just just some experience out there to fill in some gaps and function offensively at a higher rate.
1: Yeah, on both sides of the ball, I think that there's there has been guys available, either draft or free agent or, or trade, uh, but they really haven't pulled the trigger, and and that's been the case for really a long time.
0: Um. Yeah, back to Ted. I mean, Gutekinds came up under Ted, Ted obviously. Yeah, and... Ted
1: almost refused to go with a veteran uh, like Ron Wolf did with Frank Winters, Reggie White. Uh, who else did he trade for? <laughs> Sean Jones.
0: Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson, yeah. Um, you know, the middle of the season, you guys pick up Andre Rison when you're just Andre decimated Ryan. at receiver. Mark
1: Ingram, Uh, and every one of those guys that I said had a huge impact on our success. Uh, Some during the Super Bowl, Andre Risen, we picked him up a few weeks before the Super Bowl, catches one of my most famous passes in in my history in, in the National Football League, and it happens to be in a Super Bowl. And he didn't know the offense. He knew just enough to get by. But, again, a veteran guy who has been there and done that, not all of them pan out. But uh, Packers have just refused to go in that direction, whatever reason.
0: I mean, draft and develop sounds great in theory, right? Draft players develop and they come up within your system. But, man, it has blind spots, doesn't it? Because you get out there on a Sunday – and the bullets are flying. I mean, if you've got rookies and first and second year guys out there, the rides can get wide, and it's it's just different, you know.
1: Yeah, the good thing about having a bunch of young guys is they're eager, they're they're gung ho, the, the, and that's that's good. Where a fifteen year veteran's like, "Hey, shut the hell up! I'll worry about the game when the game is when we kick it off." You know, don't play the game before you play it. You know, but that's a young kid. I mean, uh, I, I, ready to go. But co- cool, calm, collective a lot of times wins out. Uh, kind of knowing the ropes, have been been through it, been there, done that. Uh, maybe not as fast as you once were. Maybe not as strong as you once were but you're a lot smarter, you're you're wily. Like Frank Winters, undrafted, was a deep snapper. We pick up Frank, he's in probably year four or five. We hit it off. He's not the starting center. He ends up kind of by default getting that position. And he plays, what, 15, 16 years, has a wonderful career. Was, was Frank in year 10, 15? Uh, was he as, as strong as fast? No, he, he was never strong and fast, but he was wild. And, you know, if there was a lineup that you had to pick a, a center out of this, this lineup of, of stud players, Frank would probably be the last one you'd pick because he, his bench press wasn't great. He didn't squat very much. He didn't – I don't know what 40-time timing, but none of that mattered. What mattered was he was wily, he was crafty, he was smart, and he was good because of that. And his instincts were off the charts. That's kind of what you get – I mean, you get that with a young player, but you don't know until that develops. So picking one of these guys up off the street or off from another team can be a gamble, much like a, a draft pick. You know, you draft the first-round guy. He did great at Penn State, uh, dominated. That doesn't mean he dominates in the next at the next level. How many times we we say, whatever happened to that guy, a first-round pick or a high draft pick? And you got a guy that ends up being – beating a high draft pick out um, at any position. And you go, this guy played at Saginaw, Michigan. I mean, good Lord. No offense, but yeah, he beat the guy out from Penn State. You know I mean? It happens all the time. You know, there's guys across the league that you go, where did he play college? And Charles Haley. Um, James Madison, you go, really? Uh, you know, we're, we're, I think Keith McKenzie played at Ball State.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Had a, had a great career. You know, I could go on and on. You know, uh, for every Keith Jackson that played at a big time school, uh, um, there's 10 guys that played it. You go, where'd he play at?
0: Um, or where was the driver emerges out of Alcorn State, right? right? Seventh round
1: pick, track guy, play one year of football. You know, being a GM, having an eye for talent, having an eye for potential, because a lot of times it's like playing craps. You just roll the dice and you hope for the best, but there is some and Ron Wolf, who we both know and love. Had an eye for talent. And, and not only talent, I think that that's an overused word. Instincts, passion, craftiness. like a Frank Winners, Like, just knows how to win. Just like I would say to Frank, don't, have, during the course of the game, something will come up, and I'm like, mm. We, we I, Or I say something like, don't hold. And he goes, it ain't holding it if They don't call it. Yeah. That's the mentality from a, a good player, um, a crafty player. It's like, you know, if I have to trip a guy to keep him from sacking the quarterback, I'm, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it accidentally. You know, the good ones know how to do that. And 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 that, and that's what right now Green Bay lacks.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, even those receivers, I mean, you, you you've got a veteran out there, especially one that maybe you've got some baked in reps with, you're gonna see the same thing. You're gonna you're gonna wanna audible to the same route. Maybe you don't even have to say it out loud. Maybe you don't even have to signal, you just do it. I mean, and these receivers are working with Jordan Love for the first time out there. But I mean you make a great point on just the need for veterans and the craftiness Ted Thompson, God rest his soul. I mean, he was Mr. Draft and Develop. I, those were some really good teams, but they always were like, just, you know, one move away, maybe yeah. one or two veterans missing away.
1: Something. Missing something. Yeah, there was always something missing that couldn't get them over the hump. Won a lot of games, had a lot of success. Um, uh, But, yeah, you know, I think like Ron Wolfe. Is so underappreciated, even though he's in the Hall of Fame. The year we won the Super Bowl, man, we were a potluck of players. We lost so many players at different times in that 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 year. How in the world did we overcome? And he he would pick a guy up off the street, plug him in. Pick another guy up off the street, plug him in, but not plug him in. Plug him in and and thrive.
0: Bruce Wilkerson, right? I mean, he was a godsend.
1: Yeah, he played a ton for us at line. I think he started in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And he was he was on the street, you know, I mean, he was all but forgotten. Made it work. You know, we were a ragtag team, but we we had we had some good players that were consistent. We lost a lot of guys throughout that year and we had to plug in different guys.
0: Robert Brooks early. Antonio Freeman breaks his arm for a good chunk of the year. There was a game. Maybe you're playing the lions at Lambeau field where your receivers, I mean, you're down to Don Beebe and Terry Mickens and you know Desmond yeah. Howard, maybe who barely played any wide receiver. It was nothing. Yeah,
1: No, you're right. I, I think, I don't know if it was that year, but we went to Tampa and, and we lost. Um, and we were throwing hell Mary at the end of the game. And the only guys I had running down were tight ends. Huh. I was out of receivers. Bill Schrader, Antonio, uh, I'm trying to think who the other one was. They were all out. It may have been, uh, um, Corey Bradford or somebody like that. They were all out. And I ended up, I think I got sacked because I was trying to wait for him to get down the field. Jeff <laughs> Thompson. Uh,
0: yes, Sch- we've been a little Sch- later.
1: And uh, I don't know, maybe Keith Jackson. They were all running down, but they didn't even get to the end zone in time. I mean, <laughs> but but we managed to make it work. I mean, we lost that game, but but overall we won.
0: Man, and what I, were those
1: conversations? I'm getting back to Green Bay, I think. Yeah. You just think if you had a veteran offensive lineman that you picked up or, or D lineman that's been in 10, 10 or 15 years, Maybe not as good as he once was, but he gets in the huddle, let's say it's the receiver. And he's like, Hey, man, just relax. Just relax. Let's just, let's just think it out. Don't, don't, don't get ahead of ourselves. That just kind of calms the, the storm. Yeah. It's, I think that that's so vital when you have that.
0: Such a good point. I mean, there were probably moments even. With Ted, which is like for people who didn't listen before. I mean, Ted is a a drinking buddy of yours back in the nineties. So then he comes back. He's GM, right? He fires Mike Sherman, your head coach. You go four and 12. I should say he fired him after that four and 12 season, but it's pretty clear he's going this drafting development route. You're kind of nearing the end of your career. I mean, you want to win now. Was it contentious at times? Like, are you meeting with Ted? Like, man, here's what I need. Let's, Let's go get it.
1: We never, we never. I would hang out back in Red's office and uh, and hide from the media like during lunch and stuff like that. When Ted would come back and we would bullshit a little bit, we never really. T- I mean, I never said Ted, I need to need fifteen minutes of your time. Uh, I, I need to talk about rec- our receiving core. Or, uh, you know, I think we ought to go after this guy. That never happened. Now, I had Ted or Ron Wolf. Uh I think we're the only two GMs I, I was with. Had they ever said, Brett, will you come up to my office, I want to talk to a little ball with you, and I sat down and they they were to say, What do you think about this guy? I got a chance to trade for him or there's potential that he'll be on the market? What do you think? You think he can fit in? I would have been more than happy to offer my opinion. And I think I'm not upset that that didn't happen. I get it, but I, I do think there's a place for that. And maybe some teams do it. I'm, I, I'd be shocked if Brady, maybe not so much of Belichick, but was not asked his opinion. Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers. I, I think you got to earn those stripes, but who, who to me, who would know better than Tom Brady? What? Would fit in his offense or what? What he's looking for? Or what he thinks he he needs? But that never happened. Again, I'm not upset by it. But I think if I were a GM and I had a veteran quarterback, I would I would lean on him. I'm not saying I would make moves based on what he said, but I
0: might. Yeah. Did you want Randy Moss at one point? Yeah. Right when he's yeah, you wanted yeah. him pretty bad. I
1: think we had a chance to get him. Yeah. he still has some juice in the tank. Um, but they didn't go that way.
0: <laughs> Could have helped a little bit. Uh we'll see what they do. I mean, Brian Gudikins has done a lot of good. I mean, I still commend him for having the guts to move on from a quarterback who ran his course and Aaron Rodgers. I think everybody can agree on that. How, however this season pans out, they had they had to move on from all of that. Um uh, but man, they've got a lot of work to do. Like, where would you start if you're running the, the Green Bay Packers? Like, where, where do you even start right now trying to write this thing?
1: Oh, I don't know how much money is available. I, you know, I, I'm not no capologist. Uh, but I think you got to, offensively speaking, I think you got a lot of good young talent. But most of that is skill positions. You got to... It all starts with the offensive line. And, and I don't know the guys. I've not broke, broken down any film. So I don't know enough about the guys that are playing. I know the guys probably are playing hard. Um, for the most part, they're probably young. So there's got to be some improvement uh, uh, that you would think. But I mean, do you, do you wait four years for these guys to develop? If, if that's what you think it's going to be, or do you go? I don't know if drafting a, a guy right now, at, at the second pick in the draft, is going to help you in the short term. It may. If you can find someone available out there on the, the market, I think uh, that's, that's a good way to go. If, you know, that's just me. I think your offensive line, you can't control injuries, but you can control who you put out there. Um uh, and I think if you got great protection and you can run the ball when you want to. I'm not saying you have to run the ball, but if you can run the ball effective, then the play action game and the protection should be a lot better. If they're concerned about run and you got a good offensive line that protects well enough, then you got good young, talented receivers, and I think they do, you got a chance. You got a chance. Uh, and I don't, th- I, you know, I, I have again, I haven't watched enough within where, where I could critique, but I think the defense overall has played okay. Offensively, they struggle to score points when they need to. And, um, you're
0: just trying to figure out if Jordan Love is your guy too. You've got 10 games, right? That the circumstances are pretty brutal around him. I get it. But I was just chatting with Kurt Warner, a brief teammate of yours, right back in a training camp. And he said, look at the the game plan, the talent around him. He's got a lot of stuff going around, around him. And when you're Jordan Love, but you still want to see an element of, of special at some point. And maybe we haven't really seen that yet. That would be my one concern is that everything that he, this is, this is about as bad of a situation as you could draw, but still. You're going to want to see him rise above at some point and give you a little hope that he could be your guy.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, there, there's an element of razzle-dazzle that all the great ones, whether you're a mobile quarterback or not, the the non-mobile quarterbacks make a throw in the pocket. that You go, shit, that's why we got the guy. I mean, yeah. he's got the guy that is mobile, like myself, makes the throw in Detroit in the playoff game where I totally blew. I, I, would, I thought Sterling was on the other side. Um, I called a play. It was, it was two-minute drill. We're in the playoffs at D- Detroit, and I'm calling plays. I called the wrong play based on what they were cover, running defensively. They were running cover two. I called square outs, square outs or out routes, are terrible against cover two, but they convert to a go. Well, I think Sterling's on the other side. You know, I'm young. I'm, I'm calling plays that that just popped in my head, not because they were the best play at that time. So, the razzle-dazzle part came out. I rolled to the left, looked for Sterling. Lo and behold, he's not there. I said, well, he must be on the other side. I turn and look, throw one. <laughs> I mean, an impossible throw, make the throw, he makes the catch, we win the game. And Ted Thompson or Ron Wolf, both of them are on the sidelines. Ron had to – I've never asked him, but he had to think to himself or say to himself, that's why we got the guy. Not all the other stuff, but that – like my dad used to tell me when I played for him in high school. He said, son – you got to learn to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Yeah. And um, I don't know how much clearer it can be. And I'll and I i tell you another – in college we play in Memphis State. They used to be Memphis State, but now they're Memphis. And if we won – it's my freshman year. I'm a starting quarterback, true freshman. And Memphis was a good team, but we could beat them. It was late, late in the year. Now, we didn't run a sophisticated offense. We ran an option and tall sweep. And what runs, we did, our passes, we usually were sprint outs, sprint stuff. And everything was under center. But we were watching film, and my quarterback coach was a guy named Jack White. Great guy. And they're blitzing. We're watching film, and they're blitzing every time against every team we watch. They're blitzing. I'm talking about the house. And I asked Jack, I said, Coach, what do we do if they blitz on this play? He said, I tell you what you do. You make some shit happen. And I went, I can do that. I mean, he didn't give me, all right, we check to this or that. You make some shit happen. And that was, that was my career. So we got to see some, make some shit happen from Jordan. You know, that, that's what I, I'm sure the coaching staff, the fans obviously are. Uh, the GM, the organization—I mean, does he handle his teammates well? It seems like it. Seems like they love him. Is he—is he good enough with arm strength? He's more than good enough. Is he accurate? Seems to be accurate. Um, but make some chicken salad out of chicken shit. We got to see that.
0: That's so perfectly said. I mean, that's it. Right, it's like he spent three years almost in a quarterback laboratory preparing for this moment, right, and simulating things he, on a practice he should field. Should
1: be more ready than he is now.
0: So, but some, but football quarterback play in any era is exactly what you just said. A lot of the times, shit breaks down. It's not all perfect. Go make a play.
1: Yeah, and you could count on one hand or one finger, maybe two fingers, the times that team has won Super Bowl without good quarterback play. I'm not talking about necessarily in the game itself. They got them there. Good quarterbacks, when you got a good quarterback, you got a chance. I don't care what whatever else happens. You got a chance if you got a really good quarterback. If you got a great quarterback, there's no reason why you shouldn't compete for the Super Bowl at least once.
0: So we're going to open it up here to some VIP questions in a bit, but I, I haven't even brought up this name speaking. Of, we've talked a lot about your, uh, your backup quarterbacks. You know, you have some Ty Detmer stories and this, like, what about Doug Peterson and the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? They're six and two. You know, I've spent a lot of time around that team and I'm just blown away by how he just has his finger on the pulse. They're, they're three and seven last year at the bye. Seems like another lost Jaguar season. And he tells everybody he's got a crystal ball, right? And I looked into this crystal ball and the season's going to come down to the last week against Tennessee. We're going to win. We're going to win the division. We're going to get in the playoffs. And I mean, that, that's exactly what, what they did. I mean, did you always know he'd be an NFL head coach? And, and how do you think that team has kind of uh, become like a reflection of, of Doug Peterson himself? Seems like he just we Doug up. and I were
1: together. We were together a long time. We were best of friends. We still are. We hunted together. We golfed together. We we talked football together. Uh, he loved helping me out as a backup quarterback, and I I loved it even more because he was valuable. He was so smart, and when he went to I think it was Calvary Baptist and started coaching. I thought to myself, and I, I he had a fundraiser for the football team. I went over to – it was just outside of Shreveport and played golf in a, in a fundraiser and helped him raise some money. And I thought to myself, and I think I even told Doug this, you'll be a great coach and you'll move up the ladder if, if that's what you want. You know, some guys don't want to do that. And he said, I'll see what happens. I knew he would be a great coach because when we were together, he simplified things so much and related. Sometimes as a coach, kind of like a parent to your kid, you go, don't you get it? And they go, I know. And you go, my God, it's so easy. That's the way sometimes a coach and player – the communication is not clear. It's not easy. You've been coaching and doing it, saying it for so long. I'm just learning it. Doug would kind of be the go between and he would relate things to me from a, from a perspective that I could understand from a player's perspective. So when I went into coaching for two years, I reached out to Doug and Ty because both of them were coaching high school football. And both of them, both of them said the same thing, "kiss." And I said, "What the hell are you talking about? Keep it simple, stupid." And Doug and Ty both have been successful coaches because they keep it simple. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was, I mean, was basically out to pasture, and you know, I mean, a young guy, but he was dead in the water. Doug revitalized and kind of reinvigorated and resurfaced his career. But I guarantee you he simplified things so much. Sometimes football can get so complicated, not because it is, but because the people make it so complicated. And you, you fail to forget that the guys that are playing are all different IQs, all different walks of life, and – Trying to get them all to understand what you're trying to do is nothing short of amazing. When you get it to to work, Mm -hmm. Doug has that ability, so I'm not surprised. And they and and he's likable. Yeah, as a head coach, I I remember Holmgren one one of the first meetings, maybe the first team meeting ever. There's like 90, 100 guys that no one had been cut yet, and Holmgren said, "I'm not your friend." I'm your coach. I'll say hello. Don't – I'm not your friend. And I, I think that there's some good in that because you can't just let guys walk in your office and hey, Mike, you know, I mean, there's got to be a level of, of command. And you got to know where to draw the line. But Doug is about as close to that line as possible. If you do it the right way, you work hard, you give him all the effort. He's going to be as close to your friend as possible and you're going to like him. But he'll cut bait if he has to.
0: Which it applies to these moments that we've that we see. I mean that very next game after that crystal ball talk, it's the Baltimore Ravens game on the line, basically the season on the line, and they go for two. And he basically has, like, Trevor Lawrence kind of, you know, pick the route, pick the play with Zay Jones. So he, he knows how to empower the players, doesn't he? And, and just yeah, getting I think to relate to guys, a, that's important.
1: I think it's it's hugely important where I remember when Holmgren, for the first time, listened to me on the timeout about running a play. And I thought I had hung the moon. And it worked. And it And yeah, I we were talking on the sidelines, timeout, and it was, uh, you know, what do you like? And I was like, you gotta be kidding me! And I recommended a play, and he says, you like that one? You really do? I said, yeah. He's like, all right, make it work. And man, that was an awesome feeling. And then, I mean, I wasn't his friend after that. But it opened up a whole new set of doors that, uh, it, I mean, it was just an amazing moment. So, yeah, you empower your players and create a level of trust between you that both don't want to break. And I, I think that that's a huge aspect of the coach-player relationship.
0: Do you guys keep in touch? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Dan and Jeannie talk more than Doug and I. Doug's a coach. He ain't got time. I, if he texts or calls me and I don't answer, he's like, you're probably hunting or golfing or biking. If I text and call him and he doesn't answer, he's probably in a staff meeting. And that could be till 1 o'clock in the morning. And I told him, I'm out. No way am I in a staff meeting. If I'm a head coach, my ass is going home early.
0: <laughs> well brett we have a uh a vip here on the call who's an all-time brett Favre connoisseur fan trick v olson what's going on brother good to see you on here
2: it's good to be on here ty i was just thinking i need to i need to take a picture and text all my buddies back home in wisconsin because they aren't going to believe this the uh the uh I'll, I'll give you some twitter love too to try and get some more subscribers but uh Brett, it's great to meet you. Actually, you were in the governor of Wisconsin's office once when the ride was starting, when Tommy Thompson was governor, and all of us on his staff ended up. We were in in awe that you were in the room, and you were the same age as all of us, which didn't really seem to be. It was was hard for me to believe, right? Like, this is God. But I want to ask you about something, because I've been dying since it happened. Do you remember a preseason game at Camp Randall against the Rams where you kind of rolled out? It was after the season where you threw all the picks and you chucked it basically into the stands over yeah. Holmgren's head and you got a standing ovation from like yeah, thousand people. Do you remember that? No, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was at that game and I always wondered, I wonder what's going through Favre's head. that He's getting a standing ovation for chucking it into the stands. And we're – did you throw it into the stands because you were basically giving Holmgren the one finger salute? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, uh, I remember that pretty vividly. Uh, I, I think <laughs> my my the thought I was having when I threw it in the stands and I got the, I mean, it was like we'd won the Super Bowl. I,
2: yeah, I, it was.
1: I, I think inside I've I chuckled. I, I, you know, <laughs> like. I must. I think the thought in my mind was, I must have really needed to start throwing the ball away, right. which is a, an understatement. You know, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll go back to my in college because I had the same problem in college. I thought I, every play I could throw a touchdown.
2: Right.
1: And my my quarterback coach Jack White, his wife's name, and I I remember this for the rest of my life it was Molly White was his wife. And there came a point that we're in meetings and he says, Brett, do me a favor, throw it to Molly, my wife, in the stands. It's okay. Just throw the ball to Molly White. So that became the mantra in practice. Throw it to Molly. Throw it to Molly. Throw it to Molly. I I heeded his advice for a while in college, but when I got to the pros, again, I I fell back to every play is a touchdown. And that was hard break.
2: Yeah, I mean, that place was electric. In fact, what you may not know is not long after that, U2 was playing at Camp Randall. And I think, honestly, there was more passion about you chucking it into the stands. than (laughs) Probably. Which is just, I mean, honestly, it it was like, from the other perspective of the guy sitting in the stands, we're like, oh, my God, not only can this guy throw it through walls and do great stuff, but, like, he's getting it and we're going to be good and it was it was such an it was it was really kind of a neat thing i think the thing is is that um you know sitting in your your place like the um, it, it's the ride for you but it's it's the fact that all these people got to go on the ride with you yeah. and the fact that like and you know i know you were close to your dad i was close to my dad like some of the greatest moments that my dad and I had were going over to Lambeau field and, and having that chance. And I think that's kind of the cool thing about what football in any really competitive endeavor gives people is a chance to go on a ride, right? Yeah. It's, and nothing's predetermined, which is really, it's neat.
1: Really cool. Because I felt the same way. I felt like, of course, I didn't know this when I was traded to green Bay, but it was a perfect fit. Again, I didn't know that. I related to the fans, the fans related to me. Did did I upset the fans at times? Of course, because I was upset. But it was like this. It it was like a father-son, you know, uh, union the whole 16 years. And uh, as, as each year progressed, I felt more and more like I was at home. We laughed together. We cheered together. We we grinded together, and and we we cried, and we were upset, and we were pissed off together. We were all that together. But there was no doubt that we were together.
2: I think too, you know, it's 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 neat to think about like your. I've been in the part of Mississippi where you grew up once, work for some work stuff, and and I was actually thinking about you in the sense that. Like, you came to Green Bay. We, I grew up in River Falls, which is across the state, right, in Wisconsin. We're the same age. But what's really cool about it is, like, different places. But you came to Wisconsin, and then, you know, you were a hunting guy. You liked your beer for a while. Like, all the things that you, strangely enough, came from Mississippi, and that part of Mississippi epitomized Wisconsin. And the, yeah. Wisconsin I've seen the only difference the is it's, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's not cold. That's the only difference, but you're right. <laughs> right. Uh, other than right. that, it's, it's it's Wisconsin. There's no question.
2: Speaking of cold, how cold were you? So, you know, the Packers hadn't made the playoffs in forever, and you got us into the playoffs and played Detroit, right? Do you remember how cold it was that day? That first playoff game at Lambeau Field in Detroit? That was That's the game
1: that Barry Sanders had zero yards, negative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. cold. That's kind of was, a forgotten cold game. Everyone wants to talk about the Carolina championship game. It wasn't That wasn't as cold as it was against Detroit. You're right. That was pretty damn
2: cold. It was really cold. I think the thing is, so I grew up playing ice hockey, and I still play a little bit of old men's ice hockey. And Tyler and I like to go back and forth about the Sabres because Tyler's <laughs> cursed on that account. But uh, the uh, the thing about it is, like, I've found as it gotten older, getting hit in a cold arena, right? Like your body has a harder time with that. And I always wondered about that too with you, like as you age and having to play in the cold, your bones just rattle a little bit more on the cold getting hit. Like, I don't know how you did that at a professional level at 40 years old in the cold, let alone.
1: I didn't do it as well.
2: (laughs) To
1: be honest, Um, I still love the cold. You know, I hate the heat, and I'm in the wrong place for <laughs> it. Really? But uh, I'd, I'd love it if it would be 30 degrees here for half the year. I mean, but it's not. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, the older I got, the tougher it, it became. And I, the, the to me, the coldest game I ever played in, I don't know if it was officially the coldest game I ever played in, was my last year as a Packer at Soldier Field. We got shellacked. We were 13-2 and two going into the game. They were 2-13. and 13. We were playoff bound, and we ended up losing the championship. But we played there the day before Christmas at Soldier Field, and it's still – it's the coldest game in Soldier Field in history, which is saying a lot. It was so damn cold. All I cared about from starting the game was – I didn't care who – I mean, I, I cared who won and who lost. Don't get me wrong. But there was a level – that I really didn't care. I was like, just get this damn game over with. I mean, I, everything I did was hurting. Uh, but that was the coldest game, and, and we played like we were two and thirteen, and they played like they were thirteen and two for whatever reason.
0: That NFC Championship game was pretty dang cold too. I mean, you had to yeah, have some of those feelings
1: from from the, the Soldier Field. I remember going out from pregame, which was a joke, and there was shit flying everywhere. Pop- popcorn, cans, bottles, paper, people. I mean, the wind was whipping like 60, 70 miles per hour. I think I completed like three passes.
2: If I think that- when, that, when that field goal went through in that in that playoff game against the Giants, that's the coldest I've ever been in my life. Yeah, that was cold. <laughs> I was real. I went from I went from being pretty warm and feeling good to, to not feeling as good and awfully cold. Yeah, that's what of your buddies that you came up with, what did they say when you got traded to Green Bay about the gold? Like, oh Sunday shit, day. we got
1: they were like, Oh shit, we gotta buy some
2: new uh, warm warm
1: or cold weather gear. They were like Loading up at Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. I said, you're not coming to the game early. If you come, you're coming your ass and sitting outside in December. And they did. They they drank a lot more beer, they said.
2: (laughs) I bet they did.
1: It made them warm up, and the next day they had tips of their fingers for dead. Hey, I got to let my dog out real 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 quick.
2: That's the days – in the early days of, of – uh, before 9-11, people used to bring the flask and pass blueberry brandy down the aisle, and it didn't matter whether you were drinking it or not. You could take the tip <laughs> off it. After 9-11, they started patting everybody down, and that stopped.
0: So, so Trigley, You yeah. you were at that NFC Championship game then, you said. Mm-hmm. I was also at the Block Punt game. Which my I, so I'm,
2: I and this is my uh, my older daughter who's 14 and I know you're a girl dad too. So we've been traveling to every NFL stadium and I was trying to think when would be a good time to take her to Lambeau and that game against San Francisco. We went and uh, you know they lost on the block punt. We go walking out of there and it was cold walking out of there and and my 14 year old says, Dad, I can't believe we lost on an effing block punt. And then she's like is it okay that I use that word? Are you mad? And I said, no, honey, you explained <laughs> that perfectly. said to her, Fucking. Hey, I should have, I should have, I should have. That's, you know, like, what? Well, how do you feel about, uh, and, and I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit because it's personal side, like how, how you felt about sharing the ride with, with daughters and, uh, Oh, it was All awesome. the all, all the Green Bay was with that, like growing up there, and it was probably yeah. different than what you grew both up. Both girls,
1: yeah, both girls went to uh, all the way through elementary and started their. Both girls started their first first day of school was in Green Bay, so fond memories for a lot of reasons, but that that being one of them. But I remember, and this was so cool that. You know, we got 465 acres. We live on now. So, if you want to ride four wheelers, or you want to go build a hut, you can do that. We, I couldn't do that, at Green Bay. So, what what I would do, as I said, y'all want to go to the stadium. And this was there were they were different years, far apart. So, I kind of get did it with both at different times. We would go over to the stadium. No one would be there, but a couple of equipment guys. Brian Mearian usually was there, uh, and it, it's still there. But we we would play. We would we would go into Hudson Center and play wiffle ball or throw throw passes. I would pull them around. They they had a gator that they used to haul all the equipment in, and I would get the gator tie a rope to uh, one of the you know the big mats and pull them around and try to sling them off. I mean. Go in the concourse. We, we. I would uh, bring both daughters at different times. They had a scooter, and they would scoot around the concourse,
2: and I would.
1: I'd run beside them. I mean, we we just fond memories. Loved it. Like I'd come home from practice, and each daughter would say, "Dad, can we go to the stadium?" I'm like, "Heck yeah, let's go." And we would Saturdays after walkthrough we'd have a lot of time we we would go over to the Hudson Center and hit golf balls inside or something it was just an unbelievable ride um, and I'm so thankful that I that I had them there to enjoy it
2: yeah that's really cool and I mean I bet for them too you know at the time when they're little um, you know there's a little bit of an embarrassment that parents live in the public eye a little bit, yeah. but then, but then as they're able to look back on it, right. They recognize, wow, I get to be a part of some special things. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I also bet they had every boy in their class and probably girls too, wanting to be at the, invited to the birthday parties and the, uh, the stuff
1: to get to see. Yeah, I don't. I, that, they can answer that question better than I, uh, right. There wasn't too many times boys came over. Um uh, <laughs> which was good by me. <laughs> we, Is it hard? We I'm had five <laughs> memories. I mean we, we enjoyed every minute uh, I remember my, my youngest daughter, her first year, I think it was kindergarten, and she she was uh Deanna was out of town or, or had to do something. So I had to bring Brealey to school and then I had to go to meetings. I don't remember what day of the week it was, but I had, to, I only had like an hour drop her off and I was going to go over to the stadium. So uh, I pull up, I'm like, okay, this is where you get dropped off. She says, yeah, she starts crying. The younger one had a harder time doing a lot of stuff socially where the older one, Brittany was like, hey, let's go, whatever. There's people there, Let's. hey, fine. The younger one was like, Dad, I don't want them to see you.
0: Well, this one
1: time I dropped her off at school, and she says, Dad, she starts crying. Well, I, I start melting. I'm like, Brinkley, it's going to be okay. Dad, I don't want to go. Will you come in with me? I'm like, yeah. So I had to go in, sit in her class, in a desk, just sit there until she finally, the teacher said, so I'd (laughs) snuck out. That was the only time that ever happened with me. But, uh, but we always laugh about that, you know, and uh, again, fond memories, just some fond memories.
0: What about coaching your kids? Like the way you were coached by your dad and, and Holmgren, it's you're used to that. Hard coaching, tough love, and now you've got two girls. I remember, I remember talking to Kevin Cobb; like that was kind of an adjustment for him, you know, having girls and teaching them about life, let alone coaching. And going, okay, got to be a little more delicate here with with my Absolutely. daughters.
1: Absolutely, girls are totally different, and my two girls were totally different. Both were successful. Uh, my both daughters lost the state championship. Uh, as seniors in volleyball, and it was both of them played great. Brealey was much taller. Brittany was a, was more of a, like a libero. Uh, she was scrappy. She's all over the floor. Not not much for uh spikes or or as they call them now kills. Where Brealey was more of the hammer, but. I wasn't as tough on them as it had I had a son. You know, I think the way I coached the, the two years at high school football would have been how I would have coached my son. I'd have been tough, but, but real. I'm like, Hey, if you, if you can't, if you can't make the play, you can't, you can't start for us. You got to put in the time. You got to put in the work. You got to, you got to, you got to show. It matters to you. And I was the same way with my daughters. I think I said this probably more than anything else to my daughters and to the high school kids. I'm like, let me just tell you something. And the first time I told the high school football team this, all the coaches were standing around. I said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that this whole group of adults will agree with. You'll regret. If you don't work your hardest, I mean, if you want to play, fine. If you don't want to play, fine. Walk out the door. No one's going to be mad at you. But if you want to play, you got to give it all you got because someday you'll regret. And someday, regardless of what effort you give, someday you're going to wish you could go back to high school. And when I told my two daughters that, they were like, forget that. I, 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 I'm like, I knew you would say that. But when you're 30, 40, 50, you're going to go, well, you know what? Dad was right or my teacher was right or whoever. Because every adult wishes they could go back and play, wishes they could go back and date, wishes they could – there's something they wish they could go back. Am I
0: right? Yeah. 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 It's a dream about playing Randolph at at the Ralph, right? (laughs) Yeah, you know, so Rico in us. I tried to talk from
1: experience, and I'm like, you know, I didn't want a state championship at high school. We were not good enough, but I gave the best I could. In in my retirement, Hall of Fame speech in Canton. I said, I hold no regrets. Do I wish I would have won more games? One Uh, More Super Bowls? Yeah, of course. But I don't regret the way I played because I did all I could do. I studied. I prepared. Now, people may say, yeah, right. But I know. And I can live with that. So that's the way I coached and told my – and parented. Both of them know about my uh, alcohol and, and drug addiction. They know. I told them everything. I wanted them to know because I wanted them to know what is out there. And uh, I, I think that I was would have been a lot different had I had a son than my dad. My dad was he was he was long on get your ass up. You, you it, it's not good enough. and short, on hey, proud of you. You did a good job. My dad was afraid. Now I, I'm only speculating. My dad. I was afraid that if he ever gave praise, that it would go to my head, and I'd quit working hard. I get it, but that you got to know. I I think you know your kids well enough to know. It, it, I mean, it, if I would have got out of line, he'd kick my ass. It's bottom line. But it, I think it was it was an adverse effect to my two brothers the way he coached and the way he parented. They I don't want to say rebel. Both of them got college scholarships, played football. But they they got burnt out. It just kind of it didn't it didn't matter to them as much. Me, the more my dad rode my ass, the more I grinded and, and dug my heels in and got better. So it didn't have an adverse effect on me. So uh, it it actually pushed me. I mean, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'll show you." And we would butt heads, but I I wouldn't go, well, I ain't working out, hell with it. I would do two workouts instead. I'd show him. So I'm not saying that the way I would have coached or how I coached or how I parented was the right way. It's it was based on real life experiences. I wanted everyone to know that someday you're gonna regret or you're gonna look back if you don't regret something then you did all you could do. But if you're going to rather regret regret or not, you're going to say, man, I wish I could go back. At some point in your life, you're going to say that. So make sure you, you fulfill all those dreams and, and desires so you don't look back and say, man, if I had just gave it a little bit more, I could have been something. You don't because when you when you say that it's way too late.
0: Boy, when your dad did I say think, he's he's proud of you, that had to mean, I mean, he had to have said it at some point, right? To college, to the pros, it had, had to carry a lot no, of weight. I
1: don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really. Know. Yeah, uh, me and me and my older brother and my younger brother had talked about this one time. They both have sons. <laughs> I have two daughters, and I said. I think I I told Scott, my older brother, first. I was it was we never were much on touchy feely subjects, getting in depth. My dad was never a deep thought guy. Like son, he never said to me, "Come in here and sit down. I want to talk to you." You know, and that sounds like you like, are you kidding me? But that if my dad would have gotten sensitive with me. I, my skin would have crawled because that wasn't his nature. But I knew he loved me, but I, I tell people this all the time. I don't remember ever my dad saying, I love you. I'm proud of you. Does that mean he's a bad dad? No, that was, that was dad. He, he, you know, if I did something good, he would say, you could have done better. You know, most people would say, well, that's kind of shitty. But it drove me. And what I told Scott, my older brother one time, I said, you make sure you tell Max you love him. He goes, Oh, I do it all the time. That way they have no doubts that something ever happens. Like my dad loved me. I'm not saying that my dad didn't or did. I, I know he did. And his, he was an old school parent. He was an old school coach. And he believed that if he gave anybody any praise, that they would revert to easy street, which in some cases that's true. But in my case, it wasn't.
0: I forget. That was a big point of your Hall of Fame speech, wasn't it? I mean, that's why it just resonated so much and was so real. You got into that all. Man.
2: I think that, you know, Honestly, like, having, having watched these, and I'm so glad Ty's doing this, and you're doing it, Brett. The, uh, just in in a world I, I live in and around PR and stuff like that, in a world where athletes are so packaged, right? Like, seeing the human side, that that's the appeal of Brett Palmer. Yeah, I, I agree. Opening yourself up. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. Sharing... The joy and the pain with the, with the the fans is a forgotten thing. I mean, it's a it's a it's a lost gem. Uh, not that you want to spill your guts out there, everyone, but you know, I played that way, and so my life was that way. You know, when Deanna was diagnosed with breast cancer, I mean, I thought the world was coming to an end. But I still had to play, and it was like the fans were like, "We got you back," and they cried with me, they laughed with me. I, I sensed that; I knew it. And there's no no shame in in opening yourself up, and I, I think that that's a lost gem in this
2: world in, of sports these days. I think it goes Everybody way beyond sports. Uh, I mean, I I just think I think it's such a valuable life piece. I think the the other question I always wanted to ask you is this, right? And you've alluded to it in some of the other ones a little bit, but you know, in professional sports or in, in any endeavor, right? Like if, if you don't get traded to the Packers, you get traded somewhere else. Do you ever become Brett Favre, right? Like if you have a Hall of Fame career, there's so much, there's such an element of Being in the right place, right time, it seems to me. You know, Tom Brady doesn't go to New England if Bledsoe doesn't get hurt. But Bledsoe did get hurt, right?
1: Tom Brady goes there and wants to play, I'm sure. He thinks he's going to be backing up Bledsoe his whole career. No one's going to know who he is. He's going to get lost in the shuffle. Lo and behold, a freak injury. He gets a shot. They win the Super Bowl. The rest is history. Kurt Warner. You know, he's an Iowa barnstormers, plays well, gets a, gets a shot with us, doesn't work out. I don't even know if he had a rep. So that doesn't help his career any, right? He goes to the Rams, lo and behold, the guy gets his knee torn in front of him. He goes to place, wins the Super Bowl. You know, I get drafted in the second round, which is high by Atlanta the quarterback that was there, Chris Miller, first round pick had kind of been mediocre at best. Maybe I instigated a, a revival in him and he has a wonderful year. Now I've become tradable for, for several reasons. And I go to green Bay who hasn't done anything in years. And I'm thinking, Oh hell I'll freeze my ass off. I mean, I'm going to get lost In Wisconsin and lo and behold, look what happens. And it's a match made in heaven. Um, I couldn't have been more grateful for how the way, how it all kind of played out. And I ended up in Green Bay. So I tell people all the time, I'm thankful for Atlanta because without Atlanta, I wouldn't have got to Green Bay.
2: I, I saw this video once. It was a documentary on the 1980 U.S. Olympic team. And Mike Ruzioni says that puck goes three inches to the left. And I, I'm not – no one ever knows who I am and there is no miracle. <laughs> you know, like it is strange how that there, – there's a whole lot right place, right time too. And, and season the moment,
1: I think, is the, is the final element of it. Is How many guys get a chance to play? And it happens uh, – All the time, and you don't even know it because you're just watching a game, whether it be baseball or football or you name it. And you get an opportunity to play, and you choke. Maybe you get another one. Maybe that was your only chance. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you didn't know it was your last chance. And you didn't seize the moment. Like some Some guys actually don't realize that they're on thin ice. I mean, they're they're skating around like they're on solid solid ground, solid ice, but they're really skating on thin ice, and they don't seize the moment. So I think that that's an element to it as well.
2: Brett, well, this is I don't have any trigly, buttons, but more, but this has been so much fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I love talking. Somewhere my my mom my mom passed away just recently, and my dad. They're looking down on this and smiling, and this is one of those moments where, man, I wish I could share this with them because you gave all of us, and I, I bet I speak for everyone who watches this, you gave us such a great ride, and it's so great to get to see somebody aging into into middle age with the rest of us who's doing it well, so well. You know
1: what? I, I say this when I hear people say this, that similar statement. Uh, you know, like, I don't – it's not as much fun to watch football anymore since you – you know, when I hear stuff like that, that's more important than MVPs, touchdown passes, statistics. And, you know, I there was a time in my career where statistics were important, but then as I get further and further removed from the game, it, it's not important. What's important is hearing, man, your passion for the game, your enthusiasm – I don't see that anymore. You know, I, I don't watch games and, and appreciate it as much as I did when you were playing. Those are the, the things that really I value more than anything. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Man, that, thanks so much, Brett Chirgby. That was, that was awesome. Brett, for hanging out this long after his bike spill not not a total spill but hopefully you uh, get back on that bike
1: my guy just texted me and said your bike's ready at the bike shop so (laughs) perfect good timing
0: awesome well thank thank you so much and uh hey well, we'll do it again here soon
2: yeah thank you good talking with you yeah me too